Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. What animal is the rock star of the undersea world? Is outrageously beautiful, partial to an orgy, a skilled cross-dresser, and has lessons for you about coming to terms with your mortality. The, the cuttlefish taught me when it's time to die, that's okay. G'day everyone, welcome to Look At Me, I'm Benjamin Law. Now everyone's always distracted by the well-known Australian animals, like the echidna, the Tassie devil, the emu, much beloved, maybe they're overrated. Because what about the weird ones, the ones that seem a bit alien and sometimes literally have tentacles? Try to keep your search history out of it, Ben. That's Chris McCormack from Remember the Wild, and he's here to explain Australia's lesser-known animals to me because I really don't know much about them. No, you know about as much as a banana peel, mate, and uh, I think we're going to do our utmost to educate you in the world beyond your tiny bubble. I'm excited, afraid, nervous, slightly aroused to ask, what is the animal of today? Well, look, Ben, you should be a little bit nervous because (laughs) today I'm going to crush you emotionally. Oh. I'm basically going to have you questioning your own mortality, and I'm going to do that using a mollusk. Okay, Mollusk, just remind me, mollusks are kind of slimy things in shells. That's what I think of when uh, I think of mollusks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, snails are mollusks, so snails, but also cephalopods, so like octopus, Squid, things like that. Yeah. Cuttlefish. So here is our creature for today. Oh, wow. Okay. That is a cuttlefish. Is that right? That is a giant Australian cuttlefish. They kind of look like, I mean, even though a lot of us probably eat cuttlefish, I don't think a lot of us are familiar with what a cuttlefish can necessarily look like. I see something that kind of looks a bit octopusy, kind of looks a bit squid-like. It's got that incredible, almost crest, this crown-like head structure with these tentacles that reach forward, almost like a hand, you know, with the cuttlefish. it, It almost looks like it's got fingers and knuckles ahead of it. But that just happened to be part of its face, a hand face. Yeah, and look, uh, cephalopod uh, basically means head with legs. So... Head with legs. <laughs> Let's just skip the torso. What's it ever done for us? I mean, these things are amazing. They can they can change colour. They kind of flash. They're really brilliant. Um, they can change the textures of their body. And cuttlefish, like a lot of octopus, are masters of camouflage. You know, you might think you're looking at seaweed, but mm, the seaweed's looking back at you, that uh, kind of thing. They really do have alien-like superpowers then, really, don't they? Alien to us, yes. So looking at that, I'm already fascinated. They're beautiful creatures. But why specifically are we talking about this giant cuttlefish today? 
Well, they are amazing, um, and they are an Australian species, and so they found these giant uh, Australian cuttlefish found across the, the southern coastline and up, up the east coastline. Um, but there's one particular population I want to talk about, okay, and they're found off Wyala in South Australia. And I want to talk about these because once a year, a whole lot of these amazing creatures show up together. They just see these magnificent creatures in front of them flashing through all these different colours. You can hear the screaming of kids through their snorkels. They're so excited to see these things only a couple of feet away. And they're duck diving down, having a good look. And when they get out, they can't stop talking about how incredible the colour changes are in these coloured fish and the, the behaviour and the males attaching onto the females and the males fighting with the other males and these shimmers of colours going through them. It's just, yeah, it's just incredible to watch the public's reaction when they get out. So that's Carl Charter from Experiencing Marine Sanctuaries in South Australia, and he's talking about how their organisation take people out, you know, kids, adults, to see all these cuttlefish, more than 100,000 of them wow. sometimes, in this one area, about 8 k's of coastline off South Australia. So that sounds like cuttlefish fest, like that's their Lollapalooza, that's their Coachella. What's actually happening there? What are they doing? Well... When a bunch of animals get together, what do you think they're doing? Um, saying hello and having a coffee? No, are they fully having an orgy? They're totally having an orgy. <laughs> it's kind of like a conveyor belt. The females there might only be on the breeding aggregation for about 10 days, whereas the males are there for about 40 days, for example. There's four times as many males at any one time on the breeding aggregation as there are females. So if you're a female, you've got quite a lot of choice. If you're a male, you've got to prove to a female that you're worth mating with. That was Bronwyn Gillanders from the University of Adelaide. She's a marine biologist. Basically what's happening, females are getting the job done pretty quickly and males are, I guess, because they can't get the job done quite so quickly, they're hanging around a bit longer waiting. Pathetic men, once again, can't get the job done in time. This conveyor belt orgy situation really captures my imagination. I bet. The women get through there, they get in fast, and the men just loiter until they find the right opportunity. Yeah, look, it kind of reminds me of a bad night at the pub, you know? It's <laughs> it's like, all right, there's too many blokes near the dance floor or crowding the bar. Uh -huh. The women come in to have a good time, they have their drinks, they're like, all right, let's get out of here. Uh -huh. And... All these kind of loser blokes are left hanging around at the end of the night and they're all vying with each other. They're all puffing their chests out. They're all trying to dance up on the females. The, m the men that are left, they're yeah. essentially the dregs. They're the dregs. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Look, it's, it's, it's fascinating. A bad night of the pub. That's the best way I would think of it. So even though there's such a huge talent pool for a female cuttlefish to choose from, she will only mate with one of the male cuttlefish, is that right? Or will she take her pick of several? What would you do? Oh, I would absolutely take my pick of several, but that's just me. I don't want to slut shame this species and I don't want the audience to slut shame me, but that's just my personal choice. So cuttlefish have actually been described as rock stars of the sea. 
because of that uh, live hard, die young life history sort of strategy. But the males are really quite amazing. So they're basically trying to ward off the larger males so you can kind of see them, um, their tentacles almost enlarging and the colours changing across their body and the like and trying to make sure that they look bigger and stronger than another large male. At the same point in time, you might have a smaller male that more closely resembles the size of a female and what he's trying to do is potentially impersonate the female so the big males think oh I don't have to worry so much about him not realizing that he's actually about to sneak a mating with a small female there. Well I think of all the politicians who are very much like there are only two genders listening to this podcast and their minds must be blown. Impersonating females to ward off the other men, to compete for the affections of a woman. There's there's a lot of like interesting queer subtext going on in this mating ritual. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I guess it's like uh, a guy who may be interested in a, a woman on the dance floor uh, donning a dress and a wig and sneaking past the big bloke guarding it's, it's the classic mating ritual at the pub that you just mentioned before. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we see it every Saturday night. But I, I don't quite grasp the concept of how you actually sneak a mate in. I mean, we've heard of a quickie, but how quick are we talking about? Well, they seem to manage it. <laughs> I guess I guess the males are also busy focusing on some of the other males around them trying to ward them off and perhaps not quite paying attention to what's happening there. Mating seem to happen reasonably quickly. Um, the females also seem to, if you look at um, the sperm packets within their uh, in their mantle, you actually find that there can be sperm packets from multiple males. And similarly, when you look at um, the eggs on the underside of rocks, you can find that they're a mixture of females and males. So there's, there's what I'm trying to say here is that females are mating with different males and also laying eggs in different places. Let's backtrack a little bit there. That's a lot to digest. Sperm packet, what is that? So if you dissect open a cuttlefish you can actually see the spermatophores and the and where they would come out into the mantle and he can use his uh, tentacle to take that sperm package and put it into the female basically so he's literally handing her his genetic material yes yes literally handing his genetic material to the female and yeah, and so she uses the sperm packet to fertilize the eggs and then lays them on or then places them on the rock. That is that is very that is very kind of convenient. It's like you've given me some muesli bars that I can eat at my own discretion. So that's kind of how we can potentially sneak a mating. If I'm trying to get past a bigger male, I can kind of walk up and be like, Hey, hey, do you want this? Right. So just basically like a handshake. It's not actual Sex? Well, yeah, potentially we kind of get a little more physical, uh-huh. um, but I'm basically passing you my genetic material. Right. It's a high five of sperm. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. We've heard them described as the rock stars of the sea, and I totally get that they look beautiful, they have a lot of sex, and they kind of, you know, live hard. Well, they do live hard, Ben, and they die young. They die after they mate. Wow, so they're they, that spent. They are spent. They come together, 
they have their fun and then you see cuttlefish out there and you see them looking shabby like floating on the surface and you start to see the material like the tissue around the cuttle bone in particular starting to fall off or come off they don't look they just don't look 100% healthy. But at the same time, um, you start to see dolphins and the like coming around and potentially feeding on them as well. Okay, so life as a cuttlefish, you said before, it's a bit like a rock star. It's, it's live fast, die young. I've been born, I've managed to tough it out there in the ocean or, or around the reefs. And then I, I come and I have this sort of finite period to try and pass along my genes and then if I manage to do that I start to decay and I start to die and while that's going on dolphins are starting to tear me apart as well yeah so it's probably a bit similar to the salmon that come back reproduce and die and you see the bears like in North America feeding on them and the like but yeah that's essentially what's happening so they only mate once in their life well, as you heard, they, they might mate multiple times, they but it's just that one breeding window that they have. So there's a brief breeding window. A lot of them mate. They really enjoy it by the sounds of it. And then they just become a little bit desiccated and worse for wear. What's happening there? Well, I suppose that one theory would be that they have put everything into the next generation. Mm. So it's kind of quantity versus quality. And in evolution, everything's about trade-offs. So if we imagine they do lay a lot of eggs, say, relative to how many children we might have as humans, but compared to a lot of invertebrates, they don't lay that many eggs. So they've kind of found this balance where they're laying a lot of eggs, but they're also preparing those eggs for life by putting a lot of resources into each individual egg so that the little baby cuttlefish has a good crack at life. It's an amazing kind of sacrifice that they make in their own way. I guess if you think about it, it kind of underscores why they're potentially quite a vulnerable species as well, because they only get one chance at reproduction. And if that goes horribly wrong, then it's not like you've got another chance. So if you think about snapper, which most people will probably be quite aware of the fish, they can breed this year they have a bad year they can come back and have a go next year and the next year and the next year giant Australian cuttlefish don't get that option they have one chance um, which is which means that they've got no kind of storage effect if you like in the population which makes them particularly vulnerable. That seems to me like such a waste you've got these beautiful creatures they have this kind of beautiful mating ritual and then they just kind of like float up they become weak and they get eaten by other creatures to make sure that the next generation can succeed. Is it a waste? Well, I think that's a really important question. Uh, I guess their life seems really cut short to us, but I guess the question is, does a short life mean it's not a full life? Hey. Hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm good. How was your dive? It was quiet. Quiet? Yeah. What does that mean from an underwater perspective? Uh, quiet means there's not all that many critters around. Uh, but every dive's a good dive. I want you to meet PT. PT loves diving. 
So what number dive is this for you? <laughs> so this is 1008. This is 1008? Yeah. How long ago was your 1000? Uh, about a week ago. A week, so you've done eight dives in a week. Absolutely. So even though today was a quiet day in the water, um, you know, there was still quite a lot to see. And the slower you go, the more you see. And so you will often see something you've never seen before and then that makes that day a jackpot. PT lives on the Mornington Peninsula in Victoria and she used to work in education. But now she spends her days diving in our off Victoria's coastline and around the world. And PT are her initials, but they also stand for pink tank because she's got a bright pink tank and pink scuba wear, so she's easy to find. One of the most memorable dives that I ever had was at one of my local favourite dive sites, which is under a pier on the Mornington Peninsula. And it's one of the most remarkable sites I've ever dived. Every time I dive, I make a wish as to, do I want to see a, a big octopus? Do I want to see a big smooth ray? And um, I was diving with my dive buddy, Ruth. And as we're getting into the water and putting on our hoods and gloves and getting our cameras ready for the dive, I always turn to her and say, make a wish. What are we going to see today? And she wished for seahorses. And she said, what are you wishing for? And I said, I want to see a cuttlefish. And pretty much as soon as we submerged in the water, Ruth found these two seahorses. So her wish was fulfilled. So I became very curious to take the photos of the two seahorses together. In the interim, without my knowledge, a giant cuttlefish came out of nowhere from behind me, which doesn't happen, and tapped me on the shoulder. And I was oblivious. I'm taking photos of seahorses. Ruth observed this, and when the cuttlefish couldn't get my attention, it swam around the pylon, swam around behind the seahorses and faced me face on, and automatically commanded my attention. A little bit distracting when you're a photographer to be trying to take photos of seahorses, um, but this cuttlefish was really intent and really intense on getting my attention. And you can call me crazy, but I really felt like this animal was saying, let's go swim together. and while I wanted to take these pictures, that's an invitation you don't get very often. And so we went for a really long swim, like 10 minutes, very close, side by side. This has never happened before where an animal has sought me out, commanded my attention and said, we need to go here. And the cuttlefish was starting to peel. And when, when these animals are starting to die towards the end of their life, the, their bodies literally start to disintegrate and they get kind of warty eruptions on them and like these strings of flesh start coming from these eruptions. And this animal was in the first sort of early stages of decay. When cuttlefish mate, what I'd seen at Wyala was that often they... they mate and they lay their eggs and then they start to disintegrate and they often pair up with another cuttlefish in a similar condition and they stay together to die together and this cuttlefish had taken me out far away from the pier to a grassy area had showed me that's where it was going to stay it started to camouflage in that spot like we're going to stay here for a while 
um, I saw my buddy Ruth there and I said, do you want to take photos of the cuttlefish? And every time she came near, it came so close to me that it was almost touching me. And it was making it very clear that it had chosen me to be there with it. And it became very clear as I saw this level of decay of the animal that it had come up behind me, invited me to swim out into this grassy area with it to die with it. And I really was very responsive to this animal and very conflicted. Did I go back to shore with my buddy who was signaling to me there that she was running out of air and she needed to turn around and go? Or did I stay with this animal that had chosen me? How could it possibly have known that like itself, that I was coming to terms with my mortality and, and the limited number of days I still had, you know, in my future? And for a brief moment, <laughs> I turned and I waved Ruth goodbye and I was going to stay there and die with the cuttlefish. I had been diagnosed with this recurrent terminal endometrial cancer and I'd been told probably 12 months earlier that I had six to 12 months you know of time left in my life if I didn't take the palliative radiotherapy which would buy me one year two years three years who knows and at that point the oncologist said you know we we're going to try to shrink this grapefruit sized tumor down and to buy you more time but we can't cure you I just had an acceptance of the certainty of death at that point. Feeling comfortable that, hey, if this is the time to die, if this is the time of my death, I'm okay with that. I, I'm resolved, I'm resigned to that. And you know, when, when you're a cancer patient, you do go through this horrendous grappling, um, which is incredibly emotional. But that, that wasn't, that moment wasn't for me an emotional moment of okay I'm gonna let my air run out and I'm gonna die it was just like okay I accept if this is if this cuttlefish says hey this is time you know if, if this actually is my time to die then I'm I'm completely comfortable with that there's no fear in that for me and yet I realized I had a choice and then I had this epiphanous moment that you know what it's not my time it's not my time and I apologized to the animal and I turned around and I swam back to shore because I knew that I had more life to live. And, you know, that, that might sound like a strange fairy tale, but every word of it is true. When I've, when I've spent time with cuttlefish um, and I see the intensity of their lives and, you know, the, the brilliance of their lives, I, I see lives well lived, so they might have a shorter lifespan, but again, they've, they've played an important role in their ecosystem and in um, regenerating into the new um, generation of their species. So, you know, it's, it's a marvel to behold them all coming together en masse in that way in Wayala. And yeah, it's, it's tragic as well, but there's beauty in that. 
Cancer has taught me to embrace life in a new way. You know, I think sometimes when we think our life is um, unlimited and we all seem to have that uh, delusion that we like to prescribe to, um, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily count each day as precious and sometimes you make decisions where the days just slip through your hands and I found that, well, if I do have a number of days left in my life and I don't know that number, then I'm going to make sure that what I do with my life is meaningful, powerful, enriching. I'm going to try to do more good in the world. And knowing that you've played some small ripple in, in the universe, you know, isn't that what life is? Isn't every life a small ripple in the universe? And we want it to ripple in a way that is meaningful and that has a legacy and that leaves the world somehow in some small way a better place than when we got here. Did that giant cuttlefish have that effect on you? That was a tidal wave of meaningfulness. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it changed my life. It the, the cuttlefish taught me when it's time to die, that's okay. If it's not yet time, that's okay too. And that balance has become almost a foundation for the way I live every single day of my life. Thanks for listening to the show. You can find all our other episodes at theguardian.com or any podcasting app. Please give us a rating or review anywhere you can. It really helps people find out about the show and may inspire cuttlefish to spread their sperm far and wide. It's what I'm doing right now. Look at Me is supported by the Australian Conservation Foundation and is hosted by me, Benjamin Law. It was produced by Chris McCormack from Remember the Wild and Miles Martignoni at Guardian Australia. Mm.